Welcome to the All About Setwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things setwork. That include training tips, a behind-the-scenes look at what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. In this episode, I wanted to talk about containers. <laughs> so before we start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U. These are online dog training platforms that are designed to help you achieve your dog training goals, and we're very fortunate to have a client basis worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and eBooks that are all designed to help you achieve your Setwork training goals. So whether you're just getting started in Setwork, looking to develop some more advanced skills, interested in trialing, or if you are already trialing and trying to finesse some things for the upper levels of competition, we likely have a training solution for you. So now that you know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the podcast episode itself. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about containers. <laughs> And the fact that they are an element that so many people despise. And I'm trying, I don't know if I'm succeeding, but I'm trying <laughs> to have people have a different perspective about containers. An interesting thing about containers is that they're oftentimes seen as something that you just do with baby dogs, or they're just really boring, or they're not the really super exciting sexy stuff. They're not your giant field that the dog has to go search. They're not that really super complicated warehouse. They're not that tractor or that big rig. <laughs> you know, they're just, oh, it's just boring containers. Who cares? The problem is, is that the approach that you have to containers absolutely affects the result that you have in containers. Meaning that if you just view it as something that is really boring, it's something that baby dogs do, you really just can't wait to stop doing containers. <laughs> then that's going to reflect in the results that you see in your training. And we see this time and time again. We are not immune as handlers and trainers to being affected by our own emotions. So if you and I are not enjoying something, or if we think something is boring, or it's a waste of time, or whatever, and we're really excited about something else, and we're the ones who are designing and scheduling the training, I can almost guarantee you... <laughs> that you're not going to be doing the thing that you find boring and a waste of time. You're going to be doing the other fun stuff. So the translation to all of this is that people don't do container searches in their practice sessions. And if they do, it's almost like resentful. It's like, oh, we just have to do this. <laughs> Get through this so I can go do the other fun stuff. And to me, that's a really huge missed opportunity. Containers can be a really wonderful search element. It all depends on how you approach it and how it is that you're using it in your training and the learning opportunities it can afford your dogs, as well as yourself. The wonderful thing about the NSCSW training method, the canine nose training method, that I follow as a CNWI, is that everything starts in containers. So basically your foundation is built from there. We start with boxes. And the reason being is that it helps focus the dog's attention, but it's also a really great assessment tool. Because there are lots of dogs from all types of different breeds and ages and backgrounds that are a little worried about the boxes. They may be concerned about sticking their head into the box. They may be concerned once you start making different orientations of the boxes, they may be worried if the box moves or if they move the box or if they bump into the box. They may show that there is some spatial sensitivity as far as if there are, let's say, two rows of boxes in a small space and you have a larger dog, suddenly they don't know where to put their feet. But the reason why all of this is really helpful as an instructor is that you can see all of this very, very, very early on. 
And then you can start making adjustments and customizations from the very beginning stages, long before you're ever using target odor. Because for the canine nose or training method, the focus is on building the dog's drive and their independence and their love for the game. So we're having them search for primary food or toys. So there's no potential negative attachment to, let's say, birch antlers or clove, as an example. But all of this is possible because of the way that it's designed as far as the exercises of using containers, right? If you weren't using the boxes in this way, then you may not be able to see any of this until your dog was already pretty far along. And that could be problematic because now maybe you are using target odor and suddenly there's this big gaping hole that really is foundational that you're now going to be kind of stuck as far as how it is you're going to be addressing it. A lot of people would try to address that within the context of scent work, where in my opinion, it may even be better to address that completely outside and away from odor. So a big, long, complicated way of saying is that because containers are the foundation to everything, as far as how I train, it provides me with so much information and I have such an appreciation for the containers themselves and the learning that can take place in using the containers for both the dog and the handler. Let's try to do this from the handler point of view to help this make a little bit more sense. When we're talking about scent work, as I've said so many times you've been listening to me <laughs> in this podcast and another training, we can't experience it as people, we can't see it, we can't smell it. We're just really guessing, right? We're pretty much going on. If we have any kind of, we took maybe Laurel Scarioni's high placement odor movement seminar, maybe we have some other training background, or we're just, you know, going by what our dog says. <laughs> but you and I can't experience it, so we're really just guessing. But the wonderful thing about having containers is that we know where the hide is. It's inside the container. But we can change the placement of the containers in relationship to the other things inside of the space, whether it's indoors or outdoors. And suddenly the whole odor picture can change. We know exactly where the hide is. And it can really open up a handler's eyes to just how complicated this can be. And it can help them get out of the stuck way of thinking that because it's inside of a container, then the dog should only be focusing on containers. They may actually notice the dog picking up odor on the whole other side of the space, and they make a beeline to the odor container out of seemingly nowhere, right? And that could be a really powerful learning moment for the handler. It can also help as far as handling, because clearly these are where the containers are, and we're trying to figure out how can I properly support my dog without crowding them, and also without overly disturbing the space. So I'm not dragging and pulling odor with me unadvertently as I'm walking back and forth all around all the containers and stuff like that. Again, there's just so many possibilities from the learning standpoint, as far as figuring out what potentially is going on, what you could be doing as a handler, how you could be honing some of these skills that really is very well suited with containers. It's fantastic. <laughs> But then there's also the how you can make containers more sexy, more exciting, more fun. And honestly, it's just trying to figure out, well, how many different types of odor puzzles could you potentially pose with containers? How many problem-solving searches could you pose with containers? How many different ways can you help the team develop their skills they need for each other with containers? Dana Zinn does an absolutely fantastic job with this. She covered so many of these things inside her All About the Box a detailed look at container searches webinar. She's coming back for her follow-up webinar, part two, <laughs> which I'm super, super, super excited about. But 
what I love what Dana talks about is how effective of a search element this, this can be, how complicated it can also be, that it's not as easy as we may think that odor absolutely could potentially be getting trapped or collecting onto other containers, which is why your dog may absolutely spend some time investigating a container that's next to an odor container. All of these things are just underlining that we should be spending more time doing container searches and not begrudgingly, not in a way that we think, oh God, I have to do container searches. It sucks. <laughs> Instead, it should be like, wow, we're going to be doing container searches. And again, opening up your mind to how you may be able to do that. What ways can you use your containers to help your dog develop some additional skills, to help you develop some additional skills, to help your team, and to keep things fun and exciting? And that is a challenge all within itself. But if we can shift the way that we think about it, then we may actually see a very big improvement as far as how our dogs, ourselves, and our teams are tackling containers. Again, it doesn't just have to be boxes. It can be any slew of things, items that are used to hold on to other items. It doesn't just have to be in a straight row. It can be all kinds of different orientations. They don't all just have to be on the ground. They absolutely can be elevated. They could be duct taped to a wall. They could be suspended even. <laughs> There's all kinds of different things that we could be doing. And we can also be using them to help the dog understand other types of odor puzzles. So one of the things that I really like to do in my courses and in my training is to use empty, completely empty, they're totally clean, they've never been used in a search before, boxes, to help the dog understand how they may be able to work the odor plume that's coming from either a suspended or a very elevated hide. And you have those containers set out where you think that the odor plume is going to be falling and interacting with the space. And you'll see the dogs come up and they use those boxes as information points, and then they look up and like, look, it's that five foot, six foot hide. It's up there. <laughs> and then you can fade those containers, maybe even in the very next run, right? But offering and using and leveraging these tools and viewing them like that, that they are tools, that this isn't just something that I can't wait to stop doing containers. It's just such a sad way of looking at it, particularly because, again, I start all my clients on containers. I start my own dogs on containers. I love boxes. <laughs> I think boxes are fantastic. They're also really easy. You can just bring them with you whenever you want to do field trip searches. All my warm-up searches are used doing using boxes for my searches. I want to be able to assess the dog. I think that's great. When I used to do, when I was still teaching in person, twice a year I went to Camp Gone to the Dogs in order to teach their simple classes. And year after year, I would have some of the dogs and people would come back and those dogs would see me from like very far down the field. They'd be like, boxes! <laughs> and would be pulling their person as hard as they could because they were so excited. Like that's the way that I always viewed containers is that level of the dog season. Like, oh my God, we're going to be doing container searches. Like that's what I'm looking for. And the handlers were really excited to do container searches too. They had no problems with them. They were excited to do it. It was basically the gateway to all the other fun stuff that we did. So the longer that I was teaching set work and longer I was in the community, I started noticing that not everyone had that opinion, <laughs> that actually a lot of people despised containers. They thought containers were a complete waste of time. They couldn't wait to stop doing containers. And that made me very, very sad. And then there were, you know, some people were training. They're like, oh yeah, you know, as soon as you can get done with containers, just forget them. They're not important. I'm like, oh, no blasphemy. 
containers are so important, but they're also a really valuable tool. This is a short episode. This is just me with a stream of consciousness, a stream of thought, basically. Because I, I know that I've seen this a lot recently, where people are really just like, oh, I don't like containers. I really want you all to challenge yourself to maybe shift the way that you're thinking about it. And if for no other reason, if all of the things I've talked about already doesn't move you, move the needle in any way, shape, or form, then just realize that it's going to cause a negative feedback loop as far as how effective your own training and performance will be. If you don't like something, you're not going to be practicing it. Your dog is going to pick up on the fact that you don't like it. And it's going to cause things to get icky and gross. So instead of that, (laughs) maybe we can look in containers a little bit differently where, again, they're an opportunity. They're an opportunity for you to learn, for the dog to learn, to develop skills, and they can really be fun and exciting. But yeah, we may have to, you know, rack our brains a little bit in order to figure that out. I love using containers. So again, if you haven't already, feel free to check out the uh, Sniffy Fun eBooks that we've been putting out. We have the uh, 50 Sniffy Fun challenges and the three versions of the Winter Sniffy Fun Challenge eBook. The third one will be coming out in March of 2023. But there are lots of different suggestions in there as far as the different types of things that you could be doing specifically with containers and different types of containers that you could be using. Again, we have the webinars from Dana Zinn, which are absolutely fantastic. I also released a course called the Leveraging Containers for Life course, where we I literally walk through all the different things that you could be doing. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be really super experienced. You could have just completed our Introduction to Setwork course. Or you could be really experienced (laughs) and maybe you're like, I don't like containers. Well, maybe this will change your opinion about it because there are so many different ways that we could be using these to our advantage. And I'm hoping that I may be able to move the needle a little bit (laughs) to just help people look at them in a way that just view them for what they are. It's a really fun search element if we don't attach unnecessary emotion to it, if that makes any sense. But as always, I want to hear from all of you. (laughs) Did I at least get you thinking about potentially changing your opinion about containers if they're not your favorite search element so far? If you don't like containers, why don't you like containers? And then maybe I can come up with some suggestions on how you may be able to change your mind. Are there other elements that you're like, oh, well, you know, I actually don't mind containers, but I really don't like this other element. Let us know. We want to hear from you. (laughs) That's what this podcast is all about. So we'll be posting this podcast up on our website as well as our social media sites. So you're always more than welcome to comment there. We are going to be having some more roundtables with our instructors, as well as some guest speakers, which I'm very, very excited about. If you do know of someone that you want us to spotlight, potentially they are giving back to the network community. Maybe they're just your favorite instructor. Maybe they're a competitor that is just a ray of sunshine. (laughs) Whatever. It doesn't matter. Let me know. Contact me. And I will be more than happy to reach out to them because, again, that's what this podcast is supposed to be all about. And sharing some positivity and love for set work and obsession about all things Stiffy Game, I'm all for it. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks so much. Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon.